on his eye this Wednesday, so we want to keep him before the Lord. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 18 this morning, continuing our series in 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1, beginning at the 13th verse. You know, when something is vitally important to us, we want to leave our mark. We make it our purpose to try and see that somehow, some way, something lasts. We have contributed something that will be there for a while. What we find is that we're interested in legacy, whether we're thinking about a project that we're working on and hoping that something that we contributed will last at the end of the project, or maybe it's a person that we've mentored, someone that we've poured our life into, and we're hoping that in some way we've had an influence on this person that will last. That's what we find here in Second Timothy with the Apostle Paul. As I've pointed out several times, we find that the Apostle Paul is facing execution. And he's facing that execution because he felt that it was more important to bring the gospel to people so that they could spend eternity in heaven with God than for him to preserve his life and be silent so that he could live a little while longer here with men. Isn't that an important perspective for us to have? It shows us the value of the gospel. But as Paul is preparing to depart from this life, he wants to make sure that the man that he had mentored, the man that he had poured his life into, Timothy, would remember the important truths that he was to follow in sharing the gospel with others, in protecting the gospel, in carrying on the work of the ministry. You see, Paul had a concern for the church of God. So what we find here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, are two encouragements that Paul gives to Timothy, and I believe that these are encouragements that we should take to heart as well. And we're going to look at those two encouragements today as we see that the faithful follow through on the things of God. Now, what is the first encouragement? And I did the double whammy on my... uh, clicker here, guys. The Jimmy finger kicked in. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) What do we find? We find, first of all, that Paul is encouraging Timothy to follow godly patterns of sound teaching. Look at what he says in the 13th verse. What you have heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with love and faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy was being encouraged to allow faith and love to guide him in keeping this pattern of sound teaching. And you know that's so important for us to recognize. There are those who love to complicate the gospel. They love to take the simplicity of what God has revealed in his truth and then amend it in some way. Maybe it's removing something from the gospel that they find archaic or offensive. Maybe it's adding something to the gospel where they say, hey, you have to believe what the Bible says, but you also have to believe this as well. There are many ways that people try to amend the gospel, 
But what Paul is saying to Timothy, and what he's saying to us as well, is this. God gives us a pattern for the gospel that we're to follow. We aren't to freelance. We aren't to go and try and change the gospel to fit our sensibilities or even the sensibilities of our culture. The gospel is God's revelation as to how man has a relationship with him. And the gospel is super simple. God made it that way so that even children can respond to the truth of the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Very simply, the gospel, as we find it throughout the New Testament, the gospel presented is very simply this, that God loves us, that he created us to experience a personal relationship with him, but that man sinned. And in our sinning, we break fellowship, relationship with a holy God. We find that we are helpless and hopeless in our sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is a truth common to all men. And then it tells us that the result of that kind of sin is death. In fact, the scripture says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin is something that separates us from experiencing what God originally intended for man to experience that relationship with him, but what was destroyed and broken by sin. So here we are in our sin, separated from God, but the gospel goes on to talk about the provision that God gave us in Christ Jesus. The Bible very simply says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ became our substitute, accepting upon himself the sin that we deserved. He paid that penalty, that wage for our sin by dying on the cross that we might experience forgiveness and a relationship with God. And our responsibility, very simply, to believe these truths to recognize that my sin continuously stands as a block to my relationship with God. So I want to turn away from that sinful path to God, and I want to trust Jesus' death on the cross to bring forgiveness to me so that I can know and experience that awesome and wonderful love of God. The scripture very simply says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So it is our faith in the work of Jesus Christ that brings us into a right relationship with God. Simple message, isn't it? Shared it in about two or three minutes. It is so simple that man has to tweak it. Man has to come in and say, I can improve on that message. And many false teachers do that. Many of them come in and they will add to it. They will say, yeah, you have to believe and, and then fill in the blank, whatever tradition of man, whatever standard they might come up with, they're going to try to add something to that. And we've seen in 1 Timothy and now in the first part of the first chapter of 2 Timothy that Timothy was facing false teachers who had come into the church at Ephesus where Paul had shared the simple gospel and they were coming in and they were distorting it. They were adding human tradition. 
They were adding their own ideas. And what Paul is telling Timothy here in this 13th verse, after he told him to not be ashamed of the gospel, he's now telling him to hold to that gospel, to keep it, to follow the pattern of sound teaching that Paul had given him once and for all. Listen, we need to understand something. Truth is revelatory. What do I mean by that? God has given us his truth through revelation. The word of God. The message of God that comes from him to us through the scripture. We don't find truth by polling people and coming up with a vote, majority wins, and that's now the truth. This is what our society tries to tell us, but it's false. Look at the things that people have believed in group think that have been proven patently untrue. Many examples throughout history. We discover truth by God's revelation. God shows us truth, communicates it to us. And what Paul had done with Timothy was mentor him so that he could sit under Paul's teaching as an example, as a pattern of truth, so that he could evaluate falsehood by truth. That's so important for us to grasp the importance of that. Paul said to the same church, the church at Ephesus, that God had given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor teachers, and here's why. The scripture says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there and every, by, by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. That's where we find truth, by God's message, through God's messengers recorded in God's word. And so here is Paul saying to Timothy, follow that pattern of teaching. Follow that teaching, that sound doctrine that I've given you. Make sure that that is your passion. That is the pattern with which you structure your ministry. But notice he says something else there in that 13th verse. Listen, we can have sound doctrine and sound teaching, but that should lead us to sound living. He says this, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. You know what sound teaching leads us to? First of all, a deepening faith. And that deepening faith isn't directed toward us. It isn't directed toward our teachings. It's directed toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Right doctrine will make our lives more about Christ than about us. It isn't a doctrinal system that we embrace and we say this doctrinal system takes priority over everything. It is us growing deeper in our love for Christ and I would submit to you also deeper in our love for one another because if we love Christ, we will love those around us the way Christ loves them. That's the pattern that Paul had set. And that is the pattern that we should follow. Additionally, this should also be done 
in faith. You know, it takes faith to love. It takes faith to believe the doctrine of the Scripture. Everything that God reveals to us takes faith. We aren't going to be able to see every single thing that we believe fleshed out in a way that we can say, oh, I can see it clearly now. Now everything that I've been taught, I've seen with my own eyes. Otherwise, it wouldn't require faith at all. Faith gives us evidence That evidence leads us to believe, but faith trusts God in the things that we can't see and trusts it because he has said it and reveals it. And that's where sound doctrine takes us. It takes us on that course in that direction. So this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, what you've heard from me, keep as your pattern for sound doctrine in faith and in love that is in Christ Jesus. But then he goes on. You see, when we follow these godly patterns, we have to follow through in guarding them. What do I mean by that? Precious little in life is one and done, right? How many things in life do you look at and say, well, I'm going to do this one time, and that's the only time I'll ever have to do this again. I'm making this decision one time, and that's the only time that I have to make that decision for the rest of my life. Most of the things that we do as far as commitments are tested, right? And we have to recommit and recommit and recommit to that decision that we've made. What we find Paul telling Timothy in this text is, look, you've received this pattern of sound teaching. Now guard that as a deposit that has been given to you. Do you know that all of us, like Timothy, have been given the deposit of God's truth, the gospel, that we are to share with those around us? As I've shared with you before, we all have a sphere of influence. There are people that you are uniquely connected to that I'm not. And the best person to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ in that sphere of influence is you. You have a relationship. You have credibility. You have context. So you have the responsibility of sharing that gospel, sharing that truth with those around you. And God wants us to consider the gospel that he's given us, a deposit that he's given to us that we are to share, but also that we are to protect. See, earlier when he told Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel, the context of that statement was there were those who were trying to distort the gospel And it would have been easier politically for Timothy to just sort of step back and say, wow, you know, this is getting really complicated and really ugly. I don't want to get involved. I'll just step away. That would have been the easy thing to do, right? But what was he called to do? Guard the deposit. As they were spewing their false teaching, Timothy was being called of God to share the truth. But here's what I'm thankful for. Look carefully at this passage. 
guard, verse 14, the good deposit that was entrusted to you and we're not left hanging out there in our own strength. Because it goes on to say this, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Isn't it great to know that as I take my stand for the gospel, yes, I'm to study, yes, I'm to prepare, but the Spirit of God is the one who gives us the ability to share in those moments when we don't think that we can. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the defense that we need in those moments where we don't know what to say. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us in what God is encouraging us to do in this text. And I'm so thankful for that. John said this, As for you, the anointing, and by the way, the anointing refers to the Spirit of God, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. Listen, we remain in Christ, but it is the Spirit of God who teaches us and guides us and leads us in all truth, and He does it through the Word of God that He has inspired. So our responsibility, go to God's Word, go to God's truth, and draw upon the resources of the Spirit of God to remain in the right direction. We guard the truth of God's Word. There have been many times where I have led someone to Christ, and they come into contact with false teaching. And you look and you say, oh, no. They're going to hear something that's going to utterly confuse them. What am I going to do? And you know what I've been amazed by? In so many cases, they'll come to me and they'll say, Rob, this person just said this, and I don't see where that's true in God's word. And something inside me just said, you know what? That's not right. It's the Spirit of God. As we share God's truth, the Spirit of God is there to come alongside us, to help us in guiding us in the truth. But he's also there to work in the hearts and the lives of other people. It's not just a battle of reasoning. It's a spiritual battle. Satan is trying to claim their hearts, but so is the Holy Spirit. And we can count on the help of the Holy Spirit as we guard that sound doctrine. It is a supernatural power that comes into play, and we can rely on him. And I'm so thankful for that as a part of this passage. When we're defending the gospel, the truth, it's the Spirit of God who does the heavy lifting, not me. Now, continue in these encouragements. So far, we've seen that Timothy is encouraged to follow godly patterns of sound teaching. But then we come to the second encouragement. And the second encouragement that we find is this. We need to find good examples of faithfulness to imitate. I don't know about you, but... I need to see some things lived out in order to gain understanding. When I was in college, I grew up in a church that was passionate about sharing the gospel. And I knew that, hey, i got to be passionate too. But I have no idea how to do it. It wasn't until someone took me aside and said, come with me as I share the gospel, 
with some of these people who have indicated interest in it, sitting down, watching them share the gospel, that I learned how to share the gospel. I needed to find good examples of those who would follow what God calls us to do, who would mentor me in what it is to be faithful to God. Now, what we're going to find as we go through life is this. Sometimes we will run across great examples. And unfortunately, sometimes we run across examples that aren't so good. And that's what we're going to see as we continue in this text. After Timothy is told to follow this pattern, after he's told to guard the good deposit of the gospel given to him, we come to verse 15. And here in verse 15, we find those who didn't do what Paul was encouraging Timothy to do. They were fair-weather followers, and they were deserting Paul. And Paul's point in sharing this very short excerpt with us and with Timothy is, these are the people that we're not to be like. These are the people that we need to avoid their pattern and follow the pattern of faithful ones. So let's look at the pattern of many in the province of Asia, of Phygelus and Hermogenes, and let's see what Scripture says about them. Verse 15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, did everyone in the province of Asia desert Paul? Well, no. Uh, we know that Timothy was there. There were faithful ones in the church at Ephesus. As a matter of fact, you can go into the book of Revelation and find the church at Ephesus mentioned there. While they had lost their first love, they were still identifying false teachers and remaining strong. What Paul is expressing, I think, in this text isn't the fact that every single person at Ephesus, which was in the province of Asia, that not every single person was doing that, but that's the way it felt. Have you ever been just kind of left to hang out and dry? You've taken a stand, and the people that you assumed would come alongside you, they've bailed. You turn around and you hear footsteps and see backs walking away from you or running away from you. And it's a lonely place to be, and that's where Paul was. He's in prison. But before we look at the people of Asia and even the men mentioned here and kind of you know, tisk, tisk, shame on you, understand this. Paul was imprisoned by Nero. Now, if you're not a student of history, that might not mean that much to you. So let me explain who Nero was. Nero was a persecutor of the church. He would cover Christians in oil, put them on pikes, and light them as torches in his persecution. He was horrible to the followers of Christ. So think about this. Paul is in prison because of his faith, facing execution. Who'd like to go and maim themselves as a follower of Christ by visiting Paul? Volunteers? You know, that, that's the idea. They were afraid for some of them, misguided for others. 
but he was in a precarious place. He was in a difficult place. And so here are these people abandoning him. Now, the unfortunate thing is two people are mentioned by name. Agelis and Hermogenes. These were ones that were standouts, and we don't know why. We don't see them mentioned outside of this text. We don't find them in church history. We find them in some apocryphal literature, but it's spurious what's written in those. But what we do know is this. Their offense was great enough to be recorded in the eternal word of God as deserters. Who'd like to sign up for that one? The word of God never passes away. These people deserted Paul, and perhaps they even deserted the church. We don't know. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy is, don't be like those who have deserted me. Remain true to the gospel, that message, but also remain true to the messengers. I've shared before, there is great potential for the church of Jesus Christ to face persecution. And I think that it's becoming more real and more relevant every day. In my lifetime, I have seen shifts and transitions that I would have never believed when I was younger. Never believed them. But they're on fast track, changing now. And we don't know where that will lead, how it will be. So we need to ask ourselves, am I going to be like Pelagius or Pelagius and Hermogenes? Am I going to be like them? Will I desert the fellowship of believers? Will I desert the gospel message and become ashamed of it? Or will I stand strong? And as I've said before, and this bears repeating, you need to have where you're standing fixed before you go into it because it's awfully hard to get it once you're in the middle of it. We need to make that kind of commitment, that kind of decision now before things get worse. So this is what Paul was calling Timothy to. He's saying, there are those who have deserted me don't be like them. But then he goes on to talk about faithful followers. We find another name mentioned. Look at verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Now, here is somebody who didn't run in the other direction when things got tough, right? Onesiphorus was a person who stood by Paul. And as a result, look at what Paul prays for them or asks in the way of a blessing from the Lord that the Lord would show mercy to the household of this faithful man. Now, why does he ask for mercy for this household? Again, remember what I told you about Nero. As we'll see, this man was faithful to Paul and he risked his life to go and minister to him. And listen, when you risk your life, you not only risk your life, you risk the life of your household. 
who could be persecuted as well. So for this man to go and seek out Paul to minister to him could come at great cost. And here was Paul praying for God's mercy on this household. You know, there are many who are subject to persecution today around the world. We need to pray for mercy for them, for God's mercy and protection, because many face death daily. Hard to believe in 2015 that that's the case, but it certainly is. You see it sneak through the news once in a while, but it goes on much more often than it appears in the news. God was asked to show mercy to Onesiphorus. But then it goes on to say that Onesiphorus was one who had refreshed him. You know, I love the way the Word of God phrases this. This man refreshed the Apostle Paul. You know what the word refreshed means? It, it carries with it the idea of reviving someone. It was used in ancient literature of treating a wound by exposing it to fresh air. You know, when I was a little kid and I would wreck on my bike and I would get the owie on my knee, my mom would put on that stuff that burnt like crazy and then she would blow on it. And the blowing on it refreshed. It took the sting out of it. This is what Onesiphorus was doing in a much greater way spiritually for the Apostle Paul. He sought him out. He looked for him, and he ministered to those spiritual, psychological, physical wounds, refreshing him. Man, I hope that I can be refreshing to those who are beat up by our world, by our society, and come alongside them when they're hurting. And this is what God calls us all to. This is part of what we do as a community of believers. We come alongside those who are hurting, and we seek to refresh them. Sometimes we're so busy and so focused on our own misery and difficulty that we don't look outside ourselves and see the misery of others and seek to refresh them. So part of our prayer should be, God, make me one who refreshes others. Make me like Onesiphorus, who will go out of his way to refresh others. Look at what is described in verse 17. Rather than being someone who deserted him, like the people mentioned in verse 15, says, on the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. What a great testimony of this godly man. Wouldn't it have been easy to go to two places and say, well, I tried. He's just not there. Time to move on. No, he was committed to refreshing Paul. And understand this. Each time he went to a place where prisoners were being held and asked for the Apostle Paul, he was identifying himself as a follower of Christ. 
and he was connecting himself with a man who was about to die for his faith. Courage. Not ashamed of the gospel, but willing to go and go the extra mile in doing that. He was not ashamed of Paul's chains. So then we come to verse 18. And I'll tell you, when I came to verse 18, I wrestled with it a little bit. Because look at what it says. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. Now here's why I wrestled. Onesiphorus was obviously a believer. Why would a believer need to find mercy on the day of the Lord? We've already received mercy and grace by the cross of Jesus Christ. So why this request on behalf of Onesiphorus by the Apostle Paul? And here's why. Sometimes we misunderstand mercy. We find words like mercy, and we think they mean the same thing in every single context. And we're wrong. Mercy doesn't always mean just not getting what you deserve. Mercy can carry with it also the idea of compassion, the idea of even blessing others. And that's certainly, I think, the idea of this context. You see, there are many things that people do behind the scenes that go unseen by the majority. And in so doing, you can get discouraged and perhaps even think, nobody cares that I'm even doing this. There's one who sees everything that we do and rewards us for those things done in secret. And listen, on that day, which I believe refers to the judgment seat of Christ, where believers are rewarded for what they've done, the mercy that Onesiphorus showed to Paul by hunting him down, by ministering to him in a dangerous situation, will be repaid in mercy, in blessing from the Lord. That's, I think, a motivation for all of us. You do something in this life, just for this life, and you have that moment of gratification. And you look at it and you say, oh, good, this is great. Wow, I feel so fulfilled in this moment. And that's it. You might even say, well, I have a blessing I'd like to share with the congregation. You know, it was such a blessing to go out of my way to minister to this person. I'm humbly sharing it with you. Easy for us to do that and hypocritically look for the affirmation of man, cloaked in spiritual ease. But when we do something for the Lord and for his people, purely for the Lord and his people, he sees us and rewards us accordingly. Look at the closing statement about this man. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. 
what Onesiphorus was doing wasn't out of character for him. In fact, he had an ongoing history of coming alongside the Apostle Paul, ministering to this servant of God. He partnered with Paul in his ministry. And you know, I think there's an encouragement to all of us. Here is this man recorded in the eternal word of God as an example, as a pattern. While we may not be recorded in the eternal word of God, we're recorded as one who has done eternal things by God himself, and that never goes away. When you do something for eternal things, it lasts. That's where our investment should be made. That's where our perspective should settle in. We want to be people who do eternal things because those are the things that will last. Those are the things that are important. Those are the things that will leave things behind us when we're not on the scene. As we've seen this morning, we're entrusted with the gospel, just as Timothy was. We are too. We're entrusted with the gospel. We're to keep it. We're to guard it. And we are to minister to our fellow messengers who share the gospel as well. Let me encourage you. When you go home this afternoon, do some inventory. Are you investing in the things that last and matter? Was most of your time and energy directed toward the things that are a blip on the timeline? Here and quickly gone. If you were to be taken from this world, what would be your legacy? What would you leave behind? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your call to all of us to be faithful, to guard the gospel, to keep the gospel to share it with those around us and then to find and encourage those who can stand as examples of what it is to follow Christ. May we be one of those examples to others. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Together and respond in singing, O Church Arise.